Welcome to the podcast Benzo Tired. I'm your host, Naftal Benesti, and I'm Dutch. Join me on my journey into the world of benzodiazepines, withdrawal, bind, and more. Disclaimer, always consult your physician for medical advice. This is episode 14, Road Mapping, and today it's November 17th, 2022. Benzodiazepine withdrawal for me is mostly about road mapping. So getting answers to questions like, when can I reduce? Um, how much can I reduce? Um, that sort of thing. Unfortunately, with benzodiazepines, once you've done a cut that seems too large, you'll get very sick or you could get very sick. I will get very sick if that happens. I mean, for the first kind of eight months or six months when I started my taper, I was just shooting in the dark. I didn't know what to do, how to do it. I was just cutting and cutting and being super sick for the longest time. And when I started to realize that math is really important in, in benzodiazepine withdrawal was that time that I went from 3.5 to 3.25. And I got really depressed when I did that. Um, and I got symptoms and it was like eight awful days and I decided to updose. And I remember that I was speaking to someone on Benzo Buddies who apparently was a, a a math teacher before and I'm not really sure what the math was but it was something like oh you just did a reduction of 17% or something it's like oh oh so that really triggered me in the sense like okay that is indeed a large reduction now on the forums they will tell you that their advice is not to cut more than 10% I definitely agree with that I, I cannot not agree with that I mean it, yeah, but for me even, because I'm a believer in a slow or slower taper, you can even go lower than that. And I would even dare to say maybe 1% or something. So I, I didn't, I wasn't really aware until that happened to me. And that really was a learning experience for me. I remember reading the Benzo book. That was the first thing that I came across in terms of benzodiazepines and withdrawal was he mentioned he mentioned it like um, this percent reduction, etc. But I didn't understand it at first. I was like, do you mean like the percentage of your original dose? I, I was confused, cognitively impaired. But no, just to clarify, the percentage is of your last dose. So for example, if you're on 10 milligrams of something and you're doing a 10% reduction, that means a reduction of one milligram. Navigating throughout your benzodiazepine withdrawal is a bitch. <laughs> it's hard. It's difficult. And I think the most difficult thing for me, let me speak for myself, is that I only knew what a too large of a reduction was when it happened. So, for example, I did that, I don't know, 13, 17% reduction, and I, I, it didn't go well. But I had to learn. So, I, okay, like, that is too big of a reduction for me. Once I figured that out, I remember updosing, wasn't aware of that also causing issues, but okay. Um, I was like, okay, I'll go to 3.4 instead of 3.5. And I was like a five or 8% reduction. I can't remember. But even that was hard. 
So perhaps you will struggle with even the smallest reduction, maybe if it's 1%. I mean, you have to, at some point, if you want to, you have to keep on going or make a step or make a reduction. But for me, it was very disappointing that I was just very sensitive to even that small of a reduction. I have read somewhat on the forums and, I, you know, it's very individual and in how you react to cuts. But I remember that maybe once or twice I saw someone say something like 3% reduction is the max for me. I'll get very sick if I go above 3%. So that is like a small amount. But if it saves you a lot of suffering and agony, why not? Now, in terms of when you can reduce, that's the big question for every one of us. Um, for me, I'm, I, don't, I'm, I don't even know yet. I don't even know yet how long I can hold or which is best for me before I can do a cut. So I've been holding for two months. I'm not ready to cut yet. No, I'm just, I'm stable. I'm sleeping better. It's great. It's not perfect. I had a really shitty day like two days ago. But I've had such agony in hell that that shitty day is nothing compared to benzo hell that I was going through for months. So it's also about perspective. Like, how shitty am I feeling? Is it super shitty? Is it intolerable shitty? Or there's so many shades of shittiness in this process that, I, I mean, I think normal people in one of my shitty days would be like, oh, gosh, I'm going to die. This is horrible. And I'm like, oh, this is just a tip of the iceberg. I've been in hell. So... This ain't even that bad. In terms of suffering, <laughs> I think I can handle a lot more or put things in perspective than I ever could because I've been through such torture in those first months. Now, because there's no one size fits all, there is a constant discussion on the boards about when someone could reduce. Now, there are people doing different things. People are doing daily cuts, micro cuts. There are people that are doing two weeks or three weeks or four and so on. There are some people that take months. Maybe some people are taking years. I don't have a freaking clue. I'm always like, whatever works for you, works for you. But that's basically the road mapping. That's like, oh, I did a cut, for example, two weeks ago, it was too quick. Oh, I did a cut of this amount of percentage. It was too much. And I just recently said this to someone, like everything that I would advise you to do or not to do, also very, you don't need to take my advice. You need to do what works for you. But when I'm saying like, okay, maybe this would be better for me, maybe this would be better for you, um, hold. I mean, let's say you do a cut and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to do a cut every two weeks and you just feel horrible. It's just awful and been so hell. Everything that I tried was met with great suffering. And I remember those first few months of just keeping on cutting every two weeks, I think I was doing. It was horrible. And I was like way too low on my benzos and shooting in the dark, not knowing what to do. But all I knew was I wanted to come off. And gosh, I was just in so much suffering. Now, because I don't, I just don't know a lot yet. I feel like I know a lot, but there's plenty of things that I don't know. So again, with great care, I would say this, um, getting stable would be my personal goal and perhaps it can be your goal to get some sort of stable. Now, again, stable is being able to function and being able to walk and talk and dress yourself and take a shower 
Um, but you can still feel very miserable if you're stable. My stable is not your stable. My stable is, I think, pretty damn good, especially compared to other people. And I, I just wish I could share the, the way that I'm feeling very good um, with other people, but I can't. So recently there was uh, a discussion on the forum of someone who is basically a big firm holy believer of holding for very, very long times. Um, and I, 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 you know, for me that works as well, but it's not for everyone. We cannot deny, that's what I said, we cannot deny that there are people in withdrawal that, you know, never seem to get a lot of relief during their taper, which is terrible. It's horrible. So I'm thinking if I was one of those people that whatever I did, holding for a month or two months, or maybe even three, and I'm still not, you know, feeling any benefit from holding, then definitely I would just want to keep the pace and not prolong the agony. I mean, you're, you'll hear that a lot, prolonging the agony. If you are very uncomfortable in your taper always, then yes. But again, that's the rope mapping. So, okay, so I cannot speak for these people that are basically always suffering or having like a fair to large amount of discomfort. Maybe I would, I mean, I believe that people are doing the best that they can with the road mapping. So I'm just trying to imagine if I was one of those people that was always in discomfort. I think I would, in my road mapping, I would be like, okay, I want to come off as fast as I can because it's the only, only way to, to, to reach some sort of relief but I, I think I would try to figure out what would be tolerable for me in terms of the when and how large the cuts could be. So, for example, if I've tried to hold for a month and I do a reduction, I get really sick. Okay, perhaps that's too soon. Two months and it's still like, ugh, it's too soon. But maybe three months, maybe even if, if I would have the feeling that, okay, it's still really rough. I wouldn't want to wait more than three months and that would be a one-time thing because then I'd be like, okay, so I've been holding for three months. I still get very sick, but you know, I'm not going to want to do this forever. Um, so I would, you know, do it again. The next step in two months, if it's tolerable, but still shitty, I'll just weather the storm. And then one month, it's kind of like the road mapping and kind of like figuring out what's tolerable the cuts and the when and the how much, what is fucking tolerable. So, but yeah, I mean, it can just be awful. Um, and I don't wish it on anyone. So I know that I've had a pretty fucked up taper. I almost fucking died. And I've been through the pits of hell and begging, begging for salvation, begging for relief, begging for it to fucking end. It was tr so fucking traumatic. And that's why, I mean, especially in the beginning, I was like, there's probably no one that's suffering as much as I do. But, you know, I know now that there's maybe just as much or many people suffering as I was, or maybe even worse. But um, in terms of, that's why I sometimes feel like I'm maybe one of the luckier ones that gets to be happy and sleeping on stable and some people aren't. So I like it's like this paradox like, no, my taper was horrible and I didn't sleep for months and I wanted to die and I was just feeling so m miserable and it was inhumane. It was. I'm not 
downplaying that at all. But then there's the people that their just anguish seems to be longer. It tends to seem longer. Now, with great care, I'll, I'll, I would give anyone this advice. But again, advice, do what you want to do and don't do what you don't want to do. But my advice would be try to go and see what your stable can be. And that may entail holding for a longer period of time. Now, the reason that why I'm seeing this with great care is because I can imagine if someone is like really feeling super shady all the freaking time, then you just want to keep some sort of pace. But it is a possibility. And Melissa Bond proved that to me. I am proving it to myself. So I'm not saying it's for everyone. That's I don't want to be very clear about this. So it's not for everyone. But I would definitely recommend, like, did you try to stable? Did you try to hold for, let's say, two or three months? And if you're like, I did, it didn't do shit for me, then okay, well, do whatever you feel is right. But I think with great humbleness, I would say, well, try that first. Try to hold for a longer period of time. Something that I think is very important to mention is that I, I just call them the echoes, the echoes of benzos, the benzo echoes. Basically, what I'm trying to say here is, and I've read this on the forums as well, and I, I agree with that. Um, let's say I did a reduction two months ago, right? That could take a long time for my, my body, my, my GABA receptors to recalibrate that reduction. So just the whole repairing itself, recalibrating, it takes a lot of time for a lot of us. Um, so I would just say, bear in mind that, you know, cuts accumulate over time. Um, and that's also very difficult. For, I think that's one of the more difficult things for me because of the duration of this freaking process of withdrawal is that I wish I could like look into my brain and see like, hey, how are you doing, girl? <laughs> how are you? How are my GABA receptors like re recalibrating? Okay, are they ready for next cut or should I wait? We just don't know these things. But I, for me, in my personal experience so far, so far, is it takes a long time. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it takes a long time for my body to get used to a life with less benzos or no benzos. Um, like I said, I've been holding for two months. I'm doing a lot better. It's not great. Um, almost symptom free, I would say. You know, my heart palpitations are freaking annoying. But other than that, I, I feel good. Yeah. So, but that was my, my last cut was two months ago. And prior to that, I had updosed or, you know, cut dosages. I, 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 a lot happened. A lot happened. So maybe also my body and my GABA receptors are still like, oh, you know, you fucked us up um, a few months ago with the reducing and the liquid and whatever you was doing. And yeah, so... It, it, there can be echoes. So for example, and I, so hitting a wall, this is something discussed on the forums as well. And in, in our community, hitting a wall, theoretically, or it actually happens, but this could happen to anyone is let's say you're in some sort of flow. I mean, I'll get back to that. So you're in a flow of reducing, I'm just going to give an example, you're on the Valium, the diazepam, and you're, you went from 10 to nine to eight to seven and a half and you were doing this every three weeks and you were okay-ish or good even. And then at some point, maybe six, especially in the lower regions, it may get even tougher. 
But let's say you were doing fine and you had some sort of flow going on and then you were reducing by an expert, the same percentage, which is tolerable for you. But then all of a sudden you go from six to 5.8, for example, and then you get really sick. Now, it can be that that reduction was either too rough for your system, but also you had been cutting for the past times, right? So for the last months you were doing these cuts and, you know, those are the echoes that your body is still trying to process. So it's so freaking hard. And that's why there isn't, because I remember a few months ago, I was like, maybe we, I can make a roadmap for everyone. I'm like, and then someone said, no, because it's such a complicated individual process. We all react differently. This is true. So I, I, I had to kind of come back from that. I think there's a few standard rules that we can apply. For example, the 10% max reduction. Definitely don't go up 10%. It's not good for us. It's not good for you. You'll get to zero at some point if you want to. doesn't matter um, if you do a 9%, 8%, or even 1% reduction. It doesn't really matter. And don't reduce more than once every two weeks. Definitely. Now, about this flow that I mentioned, what I mean to say with that is, like, I am in a flow. I am in a flow. I'm in a good flow. And I'm going to tell you why. A lot of my frustration, depression, just was like, because I didn't know what to do. I had no clue in terms of like, I want to come off, but how do I, how do I get there without suffering so much? Now, the reason that I'm in the flow now is I have a plan. I have a good plan for me. It, it soothes me to have some sort of plan and be confident. So as you've gathered, maybe my plan is to hold indefinitely on four milligrams of diazepam slash Valium. I'm doing well. It's been two months. I expect to be even better, but I simply don't know. You know, I could be met with setbacks, so I'm, I'm going to keep you posted, but I feel okay. I feel good. But also because I have a really concrete plan, like next year, which is soon, I'm going to make sure that I'm having these compound Valium tablets and then I'm going to microdose my way to zero. And I don't care if it takes years. And worst case scenario, let's say I'm just not ready for the cuts and I feel very sick or I'm just in agony and not getting any sleep. Hey, I'll just hold my dose again. I don't care how I get to the zero anymore, how long it takes. You know, I'm still aiming for zero. But, you know, worst, worst case scenario, maybe I'll just stick to four milligrams of volume. It's not what I want. So I feel like there's like a, a backup plan and another backup plan, plan Z, plan B, all of that. So I'm, that makes me confident. But for the longest time, I was like, oh, you know, I just want to cut and when and how. That gave me a lot of stress. And there's just some sort of relief in me having a good, solid plan. And also why I'm in a flow is I'm sleeping. <laughs> and that's so, so damn important that you're getting some sleep. It could be more, you know, I always bitch about that. That will be a life thing for me. I can always sleep more. I, I, maybe I'll get to a point like when I was younger that I slept in, that I wake up after like nine hours. I'm like, oh, I was like sleeping so well. That hasn't happened to me in years, but maybe I'll get there. That would be magic. <laughs> that would be so awesome. Like, oh, I slept in. I don't even know the concept anymore of sleeping in. I, I haven't been there in years on benzos. I was initially sleeping some better, somewhat better, but it was never long. It was like five to six hours. So 
just let this sink in. So now in my withdrawal, I am sleeping better, I would argue, some days than I was on benzos. That's freaking fucking wild. And by that, I mean my original benzos, the 90 milligrams of florazepam. Now, again, I, I, I think I said in the first episode, but I'm, I'm just very careful with things that I'm saying because I know that people can be in dire states. Um, people are suffering. It's fucking difficult. People aren't sleeping. People may have the darkest thoughts. And so I'm just going to mention it again. I am not a doctor. I do not have the all the answers. I just I can only share with you my thoughts, my personal views, and by all means, actually, please, I urge you to get other opinions, get other experiences, because I'm just one person, <laughs> and there's so many freaking benzos, and everyone's wired differently, everyone reacts differently, so that's why I want to keep saying this every once in a while that you know everything that you do, do it with great, great care in terms of benzodiazepines. Now, when I say flow, uh, I feel like I'm in a flow because I have a plan. I'm stable. I'm okay. I'm good. I'm good, really. Yeah, I'm good. Um, but a lot of people are still kind of like in their beginnings of a taper of they're overwhelmed with this horror show that their lives have become I was there I was there months ago I was like what the fuck is happening to me why am I so fucking sick I just wanted to end I just want relief I just want some fucking sleep and I didn't sign up for this shit like all these emotions and I could never have known that this would happen to me and that that alone could just cause a depression like being chained to medication that I don't want to be using but I have to and I hate it it's so badly. I still often, sometimes it will, it will still get to me like, oh, fuck. I'm still physically fucking dependent on these motherfucking pills that are fucking me up. And I hate it. And I hate that I have to be taking this, these things every fucking night or I won't sleep or who knows what will happen. It's horrible. Okay. But the flow. So I'm in a flow. So I've, 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 I've gathered a lot of information. I know a lot about what I shouldn't do. I have some indications of what may work for me. I'm good now. I'm okay. So that's important. But a lot of people have just, you know, have still come to terms with their situations. Maybe they never will. So what I'm trying to say here in a roundabout kind of way is the people that are just coming on the boards and they're, they're really sick or they're suffering a lot, they're still kind of like hassling with what to do, like how to taper, what to taper, how much to taper. To hold or not to hold, you know, um, they're in that battle sometimes, which I recognize so badly, like, but I want to come freaking off. It's so unnatural for us to take something for something that we don't want. So taking drugs when we don't want to take them. It's, 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 oh my gosh, it's complex. It's, it's a dilemma. It's like, basically I'll, that's, you know, a thing too. Benzodiazepine withdrawal for me was all about dilemmas. I don't want to take these drugs, but I have to. Okay. So how do I come off? How do I do this? Um, very difficult, but in terms of the flow, I would say once you figured out what works for you, what brings you the least amount of suffering and you're like, okay, so I'm, I'm aware now that I shouldn't reduce um, more than once every three weeks or once every month or something. And I know that the reductions that I'll do that maybe they'll be rough, but it takes me two weeks to kind of 
recover from that cut. If you kind of know those things, and a lot of us just don't know that yet, right? Or maybe some of us will never know, and maybe it'll it'll maybe it'll be different every time. So maybe you you're doing cuts every month. And you feel like, okay, I've done this for a couple of times and I'll feel shitty for a week, but then I'll recover. And you keep doing that. And then maybe it's different the fifth time around. Like, oh, I did a you know, small reduction, but now I'm really sick again. So it's just the road mapping. It doesn't, maybe some people get to zero and never really have like, okay, this is what worked best for me all the time. It's just so difficult. Some people hold their taper when they hit a wall, which I think can be a good thing, but when do we hit a wall is when we unfortunately suffer a lot, maybe even. So it's really, really rough. And then hitting a wall, I mean, what I feel like I'm doing is saying, okay, this happens and then that can happen, but I cannot downplay the suffering that could come with it. It's really shitty. It's super shitty. Um, and then you're kind of posed with dilemmas again, like, oh, I'm, feel, I'm feeling so sick. I'm, it, is it tolerable? Is it intolerable? Should I updose? Which is also not ideal, but maybe sometimes we have to. Do we re- re- weather the storm? It's, it's difficult. What I really want to add in this is that because of my personal experience, um, I wish that doctors or psychiatrists were trained, had some more information about benzos. Because that's what I really missed. And I, I mentioned this in an earlier episode or episodes was Jay, my psychiatrist. Um, the best thing that she ever said to me was hold my dose, hold your dose. Which I was reluctant to do because I just wanted to come off. But after 30 days, after months of benzo hell, I felt really good. And I really wish that I had someone... <laughs> I wish I had my future self. I mean, that would be awesome, right? If we have our future selves guiding us through this process. But maybe just someone else. Maybe, you know, I was too sick to be on the boards. And I I didn't find Benzo Buddies until February or something. And I was just too sick to navigate. And I was just really deathly ill. But if someone would have said to me, like, girl, you just reduced by a shit ton of Benzos, like 66%. Or maybe, no, I think even more, like maybe 80%, 90%, something ridiculously fast that I that I w- went about this and I would say okay if you don't want to updose that's cool but hold your freaking dose because this is dangerous it's not going to help you in the long run and you know you might get protracted withdrawal syndrome so hold your dose I probably would have listened to someone who was who, are, who has been or gone through the same thing that I was going through I really missed that so it's such a shame that we don't have doctors, psychiatrists who are telling us, like, if you get too sick, then hold your dose, maybe even up your dose if you're, like, in, in, in acute withdrawal. That's something that I really missed. So and that's one of the things that I'm hoping to do with the podcast, but I'm, I'm, I'm I wouldn't say fearing, but I'm afraid that if people are listening to, to my podcast, they're probably really sick or they have been really sick. I hope not. I really hope not. Yeah, so um, a lot of rough things, a lot of tough things, but um, I just hope that every one of you that is going through a really difficult withdrawal get to some sort of stable, whatever that is for you, but the least amount of suffering, because that's what I wish for everyone, the least amount of suffering. So here's the things that I've learned in my road mapping throughout my withdrawal process. I should not reduce sooner than a month. So... 
I should hold for a month at least. That's the bare minimum. That's the bare minimum of what I can personally tolerate. But I'm thinking I would, I'm going to need more than a month, which is more tolerable or better for me. So that would be my kind of like golden rule. Do not reduce uh, within a month. The second one would be a reduction of 3% is, is kind of rough. It's kind of rough. So at least I'm, I'll tell you this. I will never do a reduction above 3% at this point. It's just horrible. Intolerable. I won't do that. Something else that I've learned in terms of my stable, sleep. If I am not sleeping or barely sleeping, that is not a sign of stable. So I need some sort of sleep to feel stable. I think that for me, sleep is one of the main things in terms of making this process tolerable. I'm just noticing a, a better mood. Just I feel better when I'm sleeping. I mean, every that goes for everyone. But definitely the sleep, if I'm not sleeping, that means that I'm not stable. Also, what I've learned, this is very important. Every sort of change in benzodiazepines, be it an updose or a reduction, will cause trauma. And you need a lot of time to recover from that. So it's really being super patient, which I'm not. <laughs> but this process has forced me to be patient. Is really like, okay, I just did a reduction or I just did an updose. I, I mean, I hope, hopefully, no updoses for me uh, ever again. That's not going to happen. I hope. Um, but, anyways, it takes time to readjust for me. Like I said, that one month at least. So I can feel maybe very good, but I'm like, okay, I need to be patient. I need to wait for at least a month if I'm going to do a cut. That's what I'm thinking now. So these are the lessons that I've learned for now. And who knows what else I'll learn in the future. But And maybe something else to add is, I know this can be sensitive, but I'm really happy that I'm on Valium or Diazepam. Happy because it's a long-acting benzo. I was on a long-acting benzo before, an even longer-acting one. But the reasons that I'm really happy, and maybe I mentioned this before, but it's because they're available in smaller amounts. Um, and they're just long acting. So I really feel like even I struggle with cuts and everything. So I'm just amazed with how people are doing this on more potent benzos. I'm like, whoa. So even on a low, on an unquote low dose of Valium, that is just, you know, I'm just happy that eventually I, I got used to the, to the Valium. Something else that I have learned during my taper of benzodiazepines, I cannot skip a dose. I can't, I can't not, I can't, I can't. And I'm going to tell you why. So I've had a few experiences, not too much. Luckily, one experience, I did share it in an earlier episode. I accidentally messed up my dose, but then, you know, lower. So I was on three, 3.4 milligrams at the time or 3.5. And I took half a milligram of Valium slash diazepam, too little. And I wasn't utter benzo hell the next day. So that's not an option. I will get sick immediately, like immediately. Now, coincidentally, I think this was about two weeks ago or yeah, two to three weeks ago. And I'm still on the four milligrams of Valium at this stage. And I walk the dogs in the evening. We always like walk them around 10 p.m. I don't like to do that because at 10 p.m. I was taking my dose. 
Now I have all these fail safes, you know, installed and they've got alarms going on. And I try, I try my best, my utter best to not make mistakes with my dosaging and taking my dose. And the alarm went, I was outside with the dogs. I come in and I forget it. I forget it. I forget to take my dose. I had already, you know, sh- shut down the alarm on my phone, turned it off. And so basically this is me going to bed, right? Like all Zen, I, maybe I won't sleep. Maybe it will be super shitty. Maybe it's not going to be that bad, but let it go. Embrace the insomnia, like hum, blah, 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 blah. and then I'll go to bed. And that particular night I could not sleep. Now, getting asleep nowadays isn't really an issue anymore for me. I will fall asleep eventually. Sometimes it's sooner, sometimes it's later. Currently, it's not much of an issue. But this particular night, I just couldn't sleep, and I was, like, tired but very wired. Twired. I was twired. I think it's called twired. And I'm, like, laying in bed. I'm like, oh, you know, it's 11. Oh, it's 12. Oh, it's 1. Still not sleeping. This is odd. And then I got thinking, like, did I even take my dose? Because I, I remember walking the dogs. I remember that an alarm went off. And then, so i like, oh, maybe I missed it. And also, around that time, so it's getting towards the 2 a.m. mark, I'm getting some weird symptoms, like a bit jittery. And, okay, so I'm like, this, I need to go check my dose. So I go downstairs, and I have different pill boxes for each day. And, yeah, I forgot all about it. So I, I take the dose anyway. And I think it takes me about an hour to fall asleep. So crisis averted. I didn't have like a great night, obviously, but in terms of sleeping, but I did recover from that. And coincidentally, yesterday, as I'm recording this podcast today, yesterday, I forgot my dose. I was watching a show with Frank. I think it's called Peripheral. Looks awesome. We've seen like two episodes. I digress. I digress. And the alarm goes off, and because of the mistake that I had like two weeks ago or so, I was like, okay, how do I prevent this from happening again? And then I added another alarm 20, min- 20, min- 20 minutes later. And um, apparently I just forgot. I just forgot, and I went to bed with the same Zen mode. I'm going to go to bed. And I fell asleep for about half an hour. I woke up, and it was it was storming here in the Netherlands. There was a storm. And I had my window open. I was like, oh, storm, noise. I'm very sensitive to noises. Always have been, but maybe because of withdrawal even more. It's like, oh, let me close the window somewhat and whatever. And I just couldn't fall asleep. And I and and I got sick-ish. I got symptoms. Um, what kind of symptoms? Just I I I was kind of burning up. Weird shit. Like I these symptoms, like the 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 really rough ones, the weird ass ones that I had for months on end, like they're pretty you know they're mostly gone you know I'm pretty much almost symptom free I think I'm not really sure I think like at least in terms of physical things um but then I got restless leg syndrome which I had a long time for months during my suffering and it was like constant legless uh legless legless yes legless I don't have no legs so restless leg syndrome now, when that happened, I was like, ooh, I think I missed my dose. And yes, I went downstairs and I missed my dose. And I I guess I got better. <laughs> I guess it worked. But um, I didn't sleep very much last night. But I feel good. It's so weird now. It's so hard to classify. <laughs> Is this stable? <laughs> well, I feel really good. So that's that's a good thing. 
So I cannot miss a dose. And I'm guessing you can't either. And especially, I think, if you're on, like, very potent benzodiazepines, like Ativan, which is lorazepam, and then you've got clonopin, which is clonazepam, I'm pretty sure that if you miss one of those things, one of those dosages, yeah, you'll get sick, probably. So never, never miss a dose. Um, set alarms. I think I mentioned this before, but I'll do it again. Just try to make sure that you don't miss no dose. Now, something that I'm going to try different for this evening is like, you know what? I've been taking my dosages at 10 p.m. always, um, but now I'm going to take them in, at 10.30 because that's usually when I actually go to bed. So maybe I'll turn it more into a ritual where I take my drugs that I don't want and then I go to bed. So hopefully this will fix the problem. But I have to say, though, for the past year that I've been tapering, I never really messed it up. I, like I said, once with half a milligram too little, but there were a lot of things going on that at the time I had just updosed and I added a liquid and just things that complicated my situation. But other than that, I've been pretty well at doing my dosages right. Now, if you are listening and if you are tapering benzodiazepines right now, I'm presuming that you're somewhere keeping track of the benzos you are taking, perhaps even adjacent medications that you're taking. Um, I want to share uh, my personal story about how I started keeping track of this. And it's actually for me very interesting because I wasn't benzo wise. Uh, my first taper was a fail. Then the second taper, I just, just you know, I reduced 66% of my benzos. Um, but here's why, what, how, how this came about. Bear with me. So my issue was predominantly insomnia. And when I started my second taper, I had no freaking clue of what, what benzodiazepines were and to taper and benzo hell. I was blissfully unaware perhaps of what was going to happen to me. Now, my kind of thoughts at the time were, and I'm laughing, but it's actually very sad and terrible. Thank, you know, maybe it's good sometimes I get to laugh about things that I was thinking was like, oh gosh, I didn't know. Oh gosh, if I only knew. So my kind of thoughts were, I'm going to taper benzos really fast. I'm going to get off these medications. And then I'm just very eager to find out how soon I'll be sleeping better again because it was all about my insomnia. It was all about the fatigue. I was done with the fatigue. I just wanted some proper fucking sleep. It was driving me insane, the insomnia. Now, what I did at the time, I bought a smartwatch, right, which kind of tracks your sleep. I remember going on the internet and finding one that was tested to be okay-ish for, you know, registering sleep. And not too expensive, because I'm not really a big fan of watches, any kind of watch. I don't really like things, you know, around my arms or wrists. I don't like it. Um, never did. But I was like, okay, so maybe I can keep track and then, you know, and I'll see if I my sleep improves. Because back in, if I go back to that time, I knew that benzos weren't helping me, or at least the medications I was on, which were benzos. I was like, they're not helping, but maybe perhaps I'll still be sleeping shitty, which 
even if I did quit quit very rapidly with the benzos, I would have slept shitty. I didn't know that then. I was like, oh, you know, I quit the benzos and then I'm sleeping well again. <laughs> like like that. Maybe a week or two. Like, oh gosh, I did not know that, th- that this was going to take a long time. A very long time. And so I made a list, um, a digital list. And I started to keep track on the benzos that I was taking. So basically it was like 90 milligrams of florazepam a lot of days. Then I went to 60 and 30 within two days. Insane, but I didn't know any better. And I would keep track of the sleep. Also on the 90 milligrams for about, I'm just guessing here, about two months. Because I think that was kind of like after my first failed taper. So my list started out with, okay, this is the date. Uh, this is uh, These are the benzos that I'm taking, or my benzo, the benzo. And then I started adding how much I slept. Now, this was a bit of a guess thingy because I remember the smartwatch that I got. I'm not, no, it doesn't work well. These things do not work very well. You, They can give you some sort of an indication, but I remember that there were so many nights in the beginning um, when I tapered so rapidly, I could not sleep. I was barely sleeping. And then the smartwatch is thinking, well, you were laying in your bed, so you were probably sleeping. No, I was not. How can you tell me that I've slept for four hours? <laughs> I was, maybe I slept for one or two hours. It was awful. Another thing that I added at the time was the um, estimated amount of times that I would wake up at night. And another reason for this list was because I remember going to the 30 milligrams or maybe just before this big reduction, I I mentioned this in one of my earlier podcast episodes, I wanted to try all these supplements and I wanted to see if I noticed some improvement with sleep. And sometimes I was like, oh, I, I took lavender oil. I think it's working. And then like a day later, no, I slept so shitty. And then it was CBD oil. And then it was magnesium. Then it was hops. Then it was valerian and valerian root. And I just could not, there was just so much inconsistency but, and I didn't know about the GABA receptors. I was like, oh, maybe there's natural stuff that can help me. But no. So, um, however, later on, as I'm, dis- you know, discovering things, I'm like, okay, so it, it is, it, it's very important to keep track of my dose, the cuts, how I respond to the cuts, maybe even calculate the percentages that I've cut. So many things, so many things. So I would highly recommend to have some sort of a list, not with the sleeping though. Maybe you can say good or bad or mediocre or something. That's something that you can do. I remember color coding my sleep because and how I felt. And gosh, I, I have to, I'm gonna be honest with you. Um, so the, the list that I made, it has different tabs because there's so many dates. I've been, I've been doing this for a fucking year, maybe longer. Um, I would color code green for good days, dark green for really good days, yellow somewhere between, orange kind of bad, red was really bad, and then dark red was benzo hell, and then I even had a purple one where I just didn't sleep, barely slept, like I did not have any sleep, so, and and that, this is why I'm struggling with looking back, I, I need to go make a new list, actually, <laughs> because those first months, it was just all red all red. Almost every fucking day was red. It was torture that defies description. Y'all know it. Y'all know it. But you can do some sort of color coding. And I remember, I know that people are doing it, but of course I'm not seeing it because I'm not 
physically seeing people withdraw. However, there's one exception. I watched the Lisa Ling special, I think the Benzo Crisis, and it got, it, got, it got to me. It got to me. It was rough. Sometimes it's rough seeing what happens to people in withdrawal. However, there was this one lady that was on the show. She was microtapering with Valium, diazepam, and she was doing daily reductions. And and I saw that she had a notebook. And um, Lisa Ling is asking her about it. So basically she, you know, puts down her dosages every day. But then she did like smiley faces or sad faces, depending on how she feel or felt. It's like, oh, that's actually very good. That's actually very good. And this this woman in particular, if I remember correctly, she would hold if it was too much for her. So um, definitely one of my tips would be keep track of the dosages that you're doing. And I also tried so many adjacent medications and supplements. And, you know, the the, the Seroquel, the Ketapine, the Mirtazapine, which is Remeral. Gosh, the Trazodone only had one, you know, addition to the list because it was awful and I threw it away. It was just a horrible experience. But it um, in the end, though, even though, like, months were red-colored, benzo hell, barely sleeping, three, four hours, no sleep. It was just dreadful. Um I did learn from that, even when I was on such a low, way too low dose of Valium. Uh, seven milligrams, I think I started where I should have started somewhere between uh, 30 and 45. So insane. Um, but anyway, I, I noticed that. Uh, so a few things that I figured out pretty soon were one of the things was cuts. I immediately noticed that. Almost always immediately noticed a cut the same night, the same day, like a day after, maybe sometimes two days after, but I can feel cuts very fast. Now, if I were to persist on holding that dose, because, you know, I did go down from seven to, I guess I was at four somewhere March, then I got lower and then I updosed again, long story complicated, but um, basically um, very irregular, but I did come down and I did notice some of my symptoms would intensify after around eight days, sometimes 10, um, which is kind of consistent with uh, the half-life of Valium. So I did notice like, okay, so I'm going to feel shitty for a week. <laughs> and then I'm going to feel shittier after to seven to 10 days. And um, yeah. And sometimes if the cut was just too big, I would updose again because I would just get so sick, so sick from even like a seemingly small reduction. Now, basically, in a nutshell, about rope mapping, this episode is this is what we're doing. This is what all of us are doing on the boards. We are trying to figure the fuck out <laughs> how to see, suffer the least amount possible. At the same time, we are trying to figure out how to get to that zero mark or stable. And I'm going to do another episode on stable for sure. But um, this is what we're doing. And I think in the first episode, I'm saying something about the common knowledge. There is a lot of knowledge with us, the people that have, have experienced this. Yes, we're all different. But there are certain things that we can just have consensus about, like the 10% cut. But I would even go for lower than 10%. Um, Oftentimes, people will just reduce too fast. They won't allow themselves to 
recover from a cut. And I do want to end with a note about Benzo Buddies because I know there's criticism about Benzo Buddies. And maybe, yeah, I'm always for, you know, having that ability to be, you know, having feedback and be critical. But Benzo Buddies means the world to me. I have to say that I never really specifically got the help that I needed (laughs) directly. And I'll tell you why, because I was kind of stable-ish at the time. I had survived the most gruesome part of my withdrawal. However, indirectly, I got in touch with a lot of people and just reading all the other stories. People, I am reading people's stories about their road mapping, their discoveries, what works for one person and what doesn't work for the other. But mostly the the kind of golden rules, if you will, like this I should not do. This is like, I'm learning. We are all learning from each other. And I really hope that Benzo Buddies will exist forever. Well, at least as long as, you know, the overprescription of Benzos and people suffering, which I sadly think is not going to go away anytime soon. Maybe not even in my lifetime. We can only hope. But um, even if you're struggling with your own road mapping and you're you're keeping track, but you just not seem to get stable or there's a lot of suffering going on, get on Benzo Buddies. Get it. Get on there. Share your story. There's so many people there who's, who've gone or are going through the same damn thing. And you can, I learned a lot. I learned a lot from Benzo Buddies. Well, I've learned from the people that are on Benzo Buddies. So never stop road mapping, you know, and, and figure it out what doesn't work. I mean, I think mostly if I speak for myself, I especially learned what not to do. I especially learned what I should not be doing. Um, but that's also a good thing. We may not have no, we may not know all the answers, but we do know a lot of things like, okay, this we shouldn't do. So I want to end on that note. Um, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the episode. Be well, be safe. Remember, it's not a race. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to support the show, go to paypal.me slash neftalbenesty. Welcome to the podcast Benzo Tired. I'm your host, Neftal Benesty, and I'm Dutch. Join me on my journey into the world of benzodiazepines, withdrawal, bind, and more. Disclaimer, always consult your physician for medical advice. This is episode 15, The Depression Monster, and today it's November 21st, 2022. Hey everyone, I hope you're okay despite benzodiazepines. I hope you're getting some sleep, some shut-eye. I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping. In my earlier episodes, I did refer to other websites, other podcasts, books. I would like for you, if you're interested, to get informed uh, and not just hear this podcast, um, if you have the need. I did run into another podcast recently that has been around for a long time, but for some reason, I wasn't, I didn't see it before. Um, It's called the Benzo Free Podcast by Mr. Foster. And it's very elaborate, um, long episodes, a lot of episodes. I think he just exceeded 100 episodes. Um, But definitely, if you want more information, um, if you're interested in other sources, go check that out.
And just to avoid any confusion, if it even exists, I don't think that there's any competition or anything going on. The more people talking about this, the more people raising awareness, the better, the better. So I am rooting for each and every one of them. And I think these people are heroes to me, people that either, you know, most of these people have come off, they're been so free, um, but then taking the time to share your experience or just investigating and, you know, trying to you know, be of use to the community. I just think it's great. I have, these people have my deepest respect, always. Now, in this episode, I want to talk about depression. Depression, which oftentimes just happens during benzodiazepine withdrawal. Now, in order for me to try to explain or elaborate or share my views about depression, I had to go and think about depression how I perceive depression, if I've had depression in my life? The answer would be yes. I did suffer some depressions, but I don't think they were very intense and they were always kind of temporarily. So let's see, my first depression that I can actually really sort of get in that moment. I think it was my first boyfriend that broke up with me. I was 17 and a half and I was madly in love with this, this guy. I'm so glad it didn't work out many years later, but you know, I was 17. It was like the first love of my life. I wanted to, you know, bear his children and blah, blah, blah. And I was like so madly in love. And then he broke up with me and I was really depressed. I was like, so high on dopamine or something. Like I was so in love and you know, it just broke my heart, my soul for, for what I knew then, you know, you're 17, your first love. And it's like the end of the world. I remember that I was hoping that maybe we'd get back together <laughs> for a long time. I think I was pretty depressed. Well, at least I remember this. So I was so depressed when he broke up with me that I think that I stayed in bed for about a week or a couple of days that I didn't want to come out. I think I came out like to shower, have some food, but I didn't want to get up. So that was my first kind of depression, but that faded over time. And I was so young. So I was still having adventures and life and there were fun stuff happening as well. So that was short lived. Um, obviously, I became very depressed when I got tinnitus. But then, you know, with the tinnitus came the insomnia, just the um, lack of perspective. If the tinnitus was going to go away, this relentless noise that is present every single second of the fucking day. And just that the unknown of it, the unknown of it and not having the tools, not having the knowledge to deal with it. And I was put on benzos quite quickly after my tinnitus. Um, and that those the first benzo, um, the first few months, they were really rough. And I think I remember that I would have, I would just go on my day-to-day -day things and I would, you know, I was holding a job and, but already very limited because either the benzos and or the insomnia, I, I wasn't sleeping great on the benzos, the first benzo. So I really struggled with that. And then I have my marriage falling apart, the divorce and someone I still, and when we were, we were together again, as I've told you, but I was so depressed when I moved out and just tension and, you know, we divorced amicably. It was because we still loved each other, but it was definitely one of the roughest times of my life, at, at least until then, like up till then, 
you know, Benzo's come later in the story, or at least Benzo withdraw, and that was just ugh, horrible. But um, I remember getting the divorce finalized, um, and then actually having another place that I would stay, and I felt totally worn down by life. Um, it was pretty bad. And, and perhaps, possibly, I'll never know, the Benzos were causing a lot of my depression there as well, but I was really down. And that was kind of more persistent. I remember that it took me a long time to kind of claw my way or get out of that depression. I was still doing things. I was seeing my friends. I was working out a lot. I remember that. Um, and I was still in touch with, I, it was just grief. It was really grief. And, you know, that's a part of life. I have to add, by the way, that next year I'll be 40. I'll turn 40 next year. But I've never lost a loved one so far to death. No one. So, well, first of all, I don't love a lot of people. <laughs> I care for a lot of people or some people. But love, like actual bona fide love, um, I love my mom. She's alive. I love my sister. She's alive. I love my partner, Frank. He's alive. So I've never had a, a, a point in my life where someone that I loved died and then grief over that. So in terms of depression, and there, of course, there's other things in life, basically ups and downs that I guess everyone has or a lot of people have that. But it was so different or it is so different with benzodiazepine withdrawal. It's like I'm going to try to describe it I'll probably fail at it or not even come close but you know that's the best that I can do try to describe it and how I dealt with it or how I deal with it and I think what I should mention is that I think I was born very very happy I was um a bundle of joy um of course the world and life can be cruel and nasty and mean but I think I always had like this I don't know, this beacon of light inside me <laughs> sounds kind of spiritual, but I was always happy and whatever life threw at me, I was always hopeful. I've been through some bad shit, believe me, but I was always like, I know that I'm a good person and I know that I'm going to make it and whatever life throws at me. Sometimes it was like, oh, I don't know how I, how I'm going to survive this or get through it, but I'm pretty sure that I will because in the end, I will land on my feet. And in the end, people will see me and acknowledge me or whatever. And that did happen. Even I had some pretty, really, really rough times in my life, but I was always hopeful for the future. Like, I always thought in my, in my worst, bad, whatever moments, like, there's always tomorrow. And tomorrow, if today's super shitty, then tomorrow will probably be better. <laughs> and that was, that's kind of, it's kind of still my kind of mantra, like, there's always tomorrow. And, you know, I'm always hopeful. And that is my personality. So I would say I'm a, a optimist, a realistic optimist, though, because I can be very, well, you know, the climate is fucked. So we're going to die at some point. But um, still, you know, I'm like, oh, but we can still make the best of it. You know, that's basically me trying to explain me. <laughs> um, so I was always happy. I still, I'm happy again now. I'm doing better, obviously. Um, so that is, I think, important to mention. And I think because I do struggle with people on the boards or just in general, people that seem to have some sort of depression or prone to depression already, and then they become depressed because of benzodiazepine withdrawal that's just horrible it's even worse like it, it i would say and state at least in terms of depression and i've been there i'll get to that but 
I always think that other people's depressions are worse than mine. Even when I was in acute withdrawal and wanting to die and just begging for mercy, which didn't come, I was like, well, I, I could carry that. I could carry that. I could carry the depression. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that would be a particular, if someone would ask me advice and they're on antidepressants and they have been struggling with some depression in their life before and now benzo hits them the withdrawal hits them that's a tough one that's really a tough one but so yeah right so taper number one (laughs) like that's over a year ago and i was really depressed during that taper but again you know even though it was awful an epic fail i reinstated i wasn't sleeping i was barely sleeping i was really depressed i was having crying spells as well which now I know is very common for benzodiazepine withdrawal. Then I was like, why am I I'm not sleeping? I was really, really depressed. But once I reinstated, most of those issues went away. Um, and I was sleeping better, not great, but I was stable on 90 milligrams of lorazepam, which is my original dose. Um, so then, let's see, in terms of depression, because I have to stay on point here, because a lot happens in a short time, the pandemic hits us, or it has already hit us by then, yeah, it was already present, and, you know, that's a story on its own, <laughs> pandemic, the pandemic, my god, the COVID pandemic, ugh, anyway, so, um, second taper, I was very motivated when I dropped, like, two-thirds of my dose in two days, um, I was super motivated, I don't remember specifically being very depressed. I was barely sleeping, but I was like, I'm, I'm so fucking motivated. I'm going to do this. I am done with benzos. I'm not going to call turkey because that may be bad. And um, But then at the 30 milligram mark, and then I, I waited because I was getting too sick to drop another 15 milligrams. Um Right, so I end up at the addiction specialist. I don't think I was depressed. I was exhausted, but I wasn't necessarily depressed. I got depressed in Benzo Hell like a week later when I was prescribed the Valium diazepam and I got high on that. And then I went cold turkey. And after about, I don't know, eight days or something, I got like super sick and I almost died really died which was that's almost a year from now uh like almost a year ago like it was the night of the december 1st so november 30th to the december 1st and i'm kind of struggling here because it's emotional for me i'm i'm lately the past few few weeks i'm thinking like oh my god i almost died last year and it's still it still gets to me it's it's rough because i actually fucking died and i, I just can't seem to get over it like i feel like I should have died, maybe. I don't know. It's just weird being on the planet sometimes. I'm like, oh, whoa. You know, that was really fucking intense. Um, <clears throat> so um, I get so sick. I'm s- severely traumatized because of this almost death and sick and grand mal seizures, wanting to jump out of the window, losing my goddamn mind. Um, then I think from that moment on, reinstating some benzo, the Valium, seven milligrams, way too low. It was just 
utter agony, but in this dimension of hell that I was, I was so sick. I think I was so sick that I was too sick to be even having thoughts about depression. I was like, <gasps> end me, kill me. It was it was different from than a depression. It was like really I am in survival mode. I am suffering. It was just, maybe it's a form of depression, but that's not how I really perceive it. I was like, I'm dying. I'm dying in this like second after second, day after day, week after week, nonstop, nonstop suffering. Now, I think this is somewhere near the end of the acute phase, which I cannot really be specific about. I don't know when my acute phase ended, but I would guess it's around May. But maybe April, March before 2022, um, that is, I definitely got extremely depressed. And I think there's a lot of reasons why I got depressed. Like first and foremost, and I'm going to elaborate, it's the benzodiazepine withdrawal that really made me so extremely depressed. But first of all, I think whatever situation you are in, and you don't know that you're going to get sick, so sick for a long time, and you don't know why you're sick, and it just doesn't stop, and you're like, I'm the unknowing, the unknowing of what's happening to you, when it will stop, if it will stop, that alone can give someone the depression, in my opinion. Uh, I was like, I'm, what, where am I? What's happening to me? I was like in disbelief for a long time, but I was also like, when does it fucking end? It doesn't seem to stop. And I was like, how did I get here? Like all these things going through my mind, but I was just, I got depressed because, because of the duration mostly. So like, like even if I just take away the aspect of benzodiazepines and that they cause or can cause or will cause severe depression on its own, just that's just like, I didn't sign up for that. I didn't know what, what, what was going to happen. That alone gave me a depression because in my mind, I was like, okay, I'm going to take a month, maximum, maybe two, three, and then I'll be done with the benzos and I can move on with my life. I had plans. I had goals. I had things to do. And here I am being sick all the time. So that alone gave me a very intense depression. And then, you know, in February, I think, I slowly start learning what's going on with me and the why. But it takes, mind you, it takes me a couple of months to really grasp what's happened or what, have, what, what I was doing for the past years, poisoning myself with junk, poison, just, you know, toxic waste, whatever, whatever you want to call this. Uh, I, I slowly, gradually get informed but just the information alone made me depressed as well because I slowly learn that's the truth, the truth, my truth or the truth about benzodiazepines. I'm like, what the actual fuck? And, you know, I was reading stories in the beginning already about years. I was not, not ready to accept that this may take years. I wasn't ready. I was like, no, no. I'm going to do it differently. I am not going to take years, especially in the state of agony that I was in. It's like, no, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to accept it. I'm not, I can't do this for years. I can't. Um, again, though, I have to be very specific because I was just so extremely ill from a way too low dose of benzodiazepines. So it's kind of like, I mean, I still don't have the answers in terms of when my withdrawal will end, but I was like, <gasps> Oh my gosh, what have I done to myself? Oh my gosh, how did this happen? Who who done it? Like what's happening? It just this 
overwhelming with the, the with the reality of things. The reality was just not pretty for me uh, at the time. Definitely, I'm I'm more hopeful now. It gets better, and I'm okay. But just I was like, wow, no one told me, and I didn't know. Just that, uh, just the info. So that I would say another uh, attribute about this depression is finding out what's what what's happening that just made me really depressed and I struggled with that for a very long time with those negative feelings and thoughts and sometimes I even still do I mean I've come to terms now I know what's wrong and I know the why and but it's not it's not a nice message it's not a, a nice reality um learning what happened to your body what has has been happening for all this time it was just just very, 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 how do you say, demoralizing. Now, I was very depressed also because of the lack of sleep. So that just alone, the lack of sleep will mess me up and I'm, I'm hypersensitive to it. I mean, I've dedicated so many episodes and mentioning sleep because it's so important, but just maybe even a bit more important for me. I was always sensitive and cranky if I didn't sleep well before any of this happened. So that is definitely a factor. Of course, I get the cognitive behavioral therapy that made my tolerance a bit bigger or it made me more tolerant in ter terms of insomnia but there's limits to that just in not sleeping it's like every night you're hoping that you're gonna sleep better or good enough and it's not like day after day after day and trying to like keep the faith is really hard um but I did it I did because um another depression or a, a, a factor in my depression was that I wasn't able to take care of my loved ones. So like my partner, I was like, I feel so bad that I'm not, I'm just a burden. That's how I felt. I know it's not true. I mean, I was kind of, you know, he did have to take care of me and he, he loves to do that. He would, I would do the same for him. So I know, that, you know, I, I put things in perspective, but still I could not escape the feeling like, oh, I just feel like such a burden to him. And I just, I want to, I want to work and I want to take care of him. I don't want people to take care of me. I want to take care of other people. That's basically how I'm built. I'm built to take, a, uh, to take care of other people. I like it. it makes me happy. Um, so that particular part as well, like just everything, just being sick, not being able to take care of my partner and that he has to take care of me. That was another factor in terms of the de depression. So now up till now, I've told you and shared with you like the things that are like, not the benzos themselves, but just that chemical process or whatever that is, what's happening in your body, in your brain. I don't know how that works exactly. All I know is that people get depressed when they try to come off of benzos. Um, <clears throat> I'm struggling. <laughs> I'm struggling this episode. I hope that's okay. Now I have to say, for me, so I'm I'm in benzo withdrawal. I am also just very depressed from the benzos. I know this now. You know, I've known it for quite some time. Like, because I think the depression that I felt, like the I think that all the other things that I just previously mentioned would cause anyone or me, even if if benzos weren't involved, but that situation would cause a depression for sure. Um, I kind of felt depressed in a way that I had never felt before in my entire life. Just not wanting to do anything. I just indifferent. I was never indifferent. If I was depressed, I'd be sad. I'd be, oh, I'm so bummed about the situation at hand or something, or I'm bummed because my boyfriend broke up with me. I'm bummed because I'm looking for a house and I can't find a house, something like that. 
but I was never indifferent. I always had feelings. <laughs> and now uh, there was kind of a lack of that going on. Or it was depression. I was sad or I was definitely sad. I definitely had my crying spells. Um, but also just, I don't care anymore. I'm just, I, I'm existing. And that was very, it was new. It was very extremely unpleasant. But it also gave me a sign in a way. It was like, but this isn't me. This is a foreign depression caused by these medications that I have, these are things that I've never felt before. Just especially the indifference. Like, if I die tonight, it's fine. If I, you know, that is something that I never had before um, in terms of depression. I would just be like, my my situation is shitty, and but I, I, I want it to end and there are possibilities for it to end or I just need to give it some time. But this particular benzo depression, I was like, this is not me. And I kind of, I, I, as, as you know, I'm writing a book. I'm not sure if it gets published but at least it was it's very helpful for me to have some sort of like reconstruction like what happened and you know what happened I, i'm backtracking my life in terms of benzos and why um i call it the depression monster because it's like this is not me this is some foreign entity that is bugging me and for me because we're talking about psychology here i'm not a psychologist anything like that. So I'm just trying to describe my mind. I know it's like difficult, maybe even impossible, but I, I was able to say like, give it an external, you know, the form of an entity. I'm like, I feel this indifference. I feel this depression, but it's not me. This is, this is caused by the benzodiazepines or the withdrawal of it. So I was just very aware of that. And that for me gave me some sort of tool, how to deal with it because like, you're not real. I mean, you're real, but you're not me. It's just very complicated to try to explain this. But like, you will go away someday because you are not me. I used to be a happy person. <laughs> I somewhere deep inside or somewhere it's lost. Maybe my soul is lost somewhere now, but it will go, it will come back to me. So again, I go back to my personality and who I used to be. I used to be a happy person. And I know this person is somewhere still lingering around and this depression monster will go away and that's how I always even to this day if I would have like a, a moment where I'm a bit depressed I feel like it's him her it's it's this entity trying to make me feel bad and it will go away now this is just so important for me I had a good spell which I call my oasis I've mentioned this before this happens in June after holding for 30 days and for about eight days, I am happy every single day. I slept well enough for seven of those days. One of those days, I didn't sleep very well, but I was happy nonetheless. Now, that particular week, it gave me so much. I don't know if it was, well, it was just holding my dose, obviously, um, probably. But that, just a week, like imagine me, I, this, I've, I've been in withdrawal over a year. Now I'm doing well again. I'm happy again. But let's just say for the sake of argument that I was sick and depressed and miserable for a year. And it's not like a constant, like I would have somewhat reasonable days, perhaps, probably. But mostly it was super, super shitty. But that week in June changed my entire kind of view on the taper process and the depression because I felt so freaking amazingly well that week. I was so happy. I, it was kind of like, oh yeah, this is more me. This is who I really am. And so I guess that's June. So that means maybe I was tapering for, I don't know, eight months. Yeah, about eight months. 
So that, I needed that. I mean, maybe sooner than later, but it, it came. In the end, it came, and that week, I was like, oh, this is me, and this is in the cards for me. Rather, it'd be maybe the rest of my taper that is uneventful, unfortunately. We all know that that didn't happen. But I was like, this is me. This is who I want back. This is what I want to fight for. I, I don't... That version of me is not indifferent. That person doesn't want to, he wants to live. He wants to enjoy life to the fullest. <laughs> I remember that guy and I'm kind of, I'm kind of there almost, but um, I'm doing so much better. I'm like, wow, that is, and then because of that week and I felt so good, I was like, I felt so horrible and shitty and I was b basically plagued by this depression monster for so long and he was just, I don't know, on a holiday, <laughs> he was, he was away for a whole week, and I was like, oh, right, this is, this is, it gave me a purpose, it gave me, this is what I, because you forget who you are, if you're, like, suffering for so long, you forget it, I, I'm gonna speak for myself, I forgot who the fuck I was, I'm like, is, is, is this me, always suffering, and, and feeling miserable, no, I, I felt really good that week, and that propelled my motivation even more, to whatever I was doing, but I wanted to feel like that again, which was just me. Because benzodiazepines, they suck your soul empty. They do. It's horrible. And of course, for everyone, it's different. I have to keep on saying this because I don't want to offend people. Like, oh, well, I don't know what you're talking about. My taper was completely uneventful. So I was never once depressed. I was sleeping good. Good for you, really. Uh, just to say, sincerely, I'm happy for you guys if, you're, if your taper was uneventful. But probably you're not listening to this podcast if that was the case. Um, so that week just really gave me a lot of strength. It was you know, bear in mind, in, in terms of a year, one week is just a very small portion. But um, I felt so great that week. I felt better than even before the taper. I was like, whoa, I feel so good. And this is, this is, I, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm a happy person. I, I, this is me, the, the, the bundle of joy, the way that I was born, I think, just happy and positive. And yeah, so that was really good. Now, as you've gathered, if you've listened to my previous um, episodes, it's not great. <laughs> After my oasis, I basically, a lot happened. So much happened. So I'm not going to repeat all of that. But um, I remember another, well, maybe I could call this a wave then that lasted over a week, a wave of a severe depression that happened at, just straight after the Oasis. It was like from 3.5 going to uh, Valium Diazepam going to 3.25. It was just brutal in terms of psychologically. I was so depressed. I was like, oh. And that was, I think, the only time that I updosed because mentally it was not viable, not sustainable. I was like, I am so depressed. I'm so depressed. This is not, no, nope, nope. And that was the first time ever that I updosed because of the depression. So not because of physical symptoms or I was probably having those as well, but I can't remember. Maybe good good thing that I don't remember everything because it ain't, it ain't pretty and it ain't pleasant. But um, I updosed the 3.5 and then I was like, okay, what do I do now? But And then a, a, a lot of depression happens actually. Um, thank God I'm, I, I'm able to laugh about it now, but... Uh, it's not funny, though, because I, I, I updose to 3.5, then I go to 3.4, getting a liquid, just all this hassle, the hassle of micro-tapering, even though I'm convinced that if I ever taper again, which is the plan, that I need that not to, you know, I just want to, you know, keep my sanity and uh, not get too physically ill. So I think for me, a micro-taper would be 
I deserve a micro taper if I wanted. The end, <laughs> you know. But still, the hassle it's annoying. And then I I do the three point four, and it's I'm not sleeping again for like two whole months, and just the lack of sleep. Well, I think I was too tired <laughs> in those two months to be very depressed. But I I, th- I guess I was a bit depressed. I don't know. Just I'm like it was so dis. I wasn't necessarily disappointed in myself because I was already kind of ben- benzo wise. So I was like, okay, so probably this cut was too big or maybe this is my wall. Something is happening. What's making me feel this way? So I think in terms of depression and just feeling down, again, it was like the depression monster that was very significantly present and wouldn't go away those two months if it was there like lingering. I didn't really feel good. And I was like so disappointed that like a seemingly small reduction would cause so much you know symptoms and not sleeping and you know there's all these theories that I have maybe the liquid went bad and I was even like lower I don't know but um that was another like like depression but also because it's November now (laughs) I'm recording this episode in November my oasis was in June so I remember in those two months and that was like that was two months ago that I you know at the end that was four months ago and then two months ago I updosed the three point no four um but that oasis just seemed so far away and I I had like I felt like I felt a lot of things but one of the things that I felt was like I had a taste of this oasis I had a taste of feeling more myself I had a taste of feeling happy and it just seemed further and further away. And I was just moving further away. It was like, oh, gosh, I can't even remember that oasis. Well, I, I, I'm vaguely, but it's been so long. When do I get relief again? And, well, I'm, I'm going to elaborate in the future. But at least when I updosed the four, I, there was a lot of stressors that were eliminated because of I, not having to cut any pills or anything like that. There's just two. I take, I'm taking two tablets and I, my... my um how do you say this? My medication is safe. I know that I'm going to get it prescribed. And I know for a lot of people, that's not the case. So I don't have to worry about my benzos running out or anything like that. I just, that gave me a lot of relief. It's complicated, but I just, I want to come off so badly, but I was like, I was just exhausted. I was not only just physically exhausted from the not sleeping, but this whole process that it just, drains everything from you it's like I don't, I've never been to a war I never had to fight in a war I would probably die like in the first day because you know me I'm not very <laughs> I could maybe do other stuff I don't know but um I don't know what that's like but it kind of feels like I was sent off to war overnight like boom you're in some sort of war country and and, and I was like being held awake. I was being captured by the enemy and being tortured alive and not sleeping and for, for, for a year. And it kind of felt like I had exhausted every freaking fiber in my body was just trying. Like, I don't know where I got I, where some people get the strength. I mean, I don't even know where I got the strength to endure all of this, the intensity, the duration, everything. Um, I digress, I think. So um, it was like, you know, I'm just, I'm done. And I remember especially being very, very done (laughs) with my taper, my process, the benzos. I mean, lots of times. I mean, I wanted to give up all the time because it was just so intense. But I think I was especially done when I went, you know, I went to great lengths, in my opinion, to go like, okay, I'm going to micro taper and I'm going to do 3.4, but it's still, and then I was exhausted and the bottle fell. I was done. I was so done. I was like, I haven't slept in two months, barely slept in two months. I'm like, 
exhausted. I'm getting sick from the sleep depravity. It was like physically becoming ill because of the sleep depravity. The bottle breaks. And I'm, I was already, I'm still, I can still get frustrated about how this, you know, how, what we have to deal with in terms of withdrawal and um, tapering, a, a, whatever you're tapering, the dosages are just not small enough for most of us. I feel like, why do I have to suffer so much? Because we have the technology, we have the resources to make these fucking pills smaller. And while well, I was like, okay, I played, I'm, I'm done playing this game. <laughs> I was like, uh, I don't know. There's like so many things going in my mind. Benzo brain, also the chaos that comes with it. I, I mean, trying to explain, it, I'm doing my utter best. But um, I was like, no, I'm just done. I'm so done. I'm so done. I give up. I'm. I think my body was like literally depleted because of the sleep depravity. I was like, I can't. I can't do this anymore. I'm just done. I'm really done. I, and I didn't want to die though, so it wasn't like I wasn't depressed, but. Um, that bad, but I was like, it's, I was just mostly disappointed in the process. I was like, why is this so hard? Why? I, I by then I was benzo wise enough, I'd say. It's like, why? Every I'm being an unquote good boy, good man, I should say. I'm, I'm doing what I think is right. I, I mean, we're just all kind of shooting in the dark, but um, even with the information, this is still not working. And so I go back to the four milligrams um, and I'm, I'm, uh, this episode of depression. Um, I don't, I, I've never, I, I, I mean, I've had some moments ever since my updose that I was like, oh, yeah, you know, but no, it was like short lived um, the sleeping though. So if I have a rough night, which I still do have, other than that, I'm, I'm content for now with my sleep, but um yeah, it was like, there's like, you know, maybe when I slept really shitty for a day, but I always know that it'll go away. It will, I will, there are, there are tomorrows now that are just better and are good even. And for a lot of months when I was praying for tomorrow be better, it wasn't getting better. And then I would, I would just re repeat the process, hopefully tomorrow, hopefully. And even if it was like two to three months later, hopefully tomorrow, hopefully tomorrow. Sometimes I would just be so exhausted from the tomorrows that would never come in terms of feeling good or some kind of relief but then i did take some sort of actions i remember in like april was like okay this is just intolerable the insomnia what do i do i got I, I got the very good advice to hold my taper which worked for me which gave me the oasis in june um so i i was yeah so i i always fought my way out of the depression or fought my way just my body recalibrating so in terms of depression um I think I am happy. I know that I maybe should be, wow, I, I've went through hell. I did. Um, but I'm just happy that I came out of it eventually. It took a long time, maybe too long. I would have done so many things differently, obviously. And then maybe I would be barely depressed or sometimes depressed. Maybe it would have been less, but I'm like, okay. I I think I have pretty, I'm, I'm, I think I struggle with the insomnia or have struggled with the insomnia more than I did depression. Like depression is like one of the many symptoms that, one can have during benzodiazepine withdrawal, but the insomnia, that was worse. That was worse. I was like, I'm, I'm, I, I think I, for some reason, I can battle depression, the depression monster. I can fight him, her, it. Um, insomnia, though, that has a limit and that will fuck me up. Now, about taking antidepressants during benzodiazepine withdrawal, I remember reading about this in the Asher Manual, and I'm just personally, for me, 
I'm going to be very specific. I never wanted to have antidepressants because I wanted to feel whatever I was feeling and I didn't want drugs to affect my mood. Very funny that I'm saying that because benzodiazepines will influence that, but I didn't know that. Like, you know, mind you, I thought I was getting a pill to sleep. I didn't know it was going to change or alter my brain or do something with my behavior, do something with my mood. Um, I had no clue. Like uh, the second benzo that I was on long term, very long term, the florazepam, Dalmain brand name. I thought I was like extremely happy because I was getting sleep again. I think that was there was definitely a big chunk of that happiness, but maybe I was extremely happy or very happy because of benzos. I don't know this. Um, but uh, so again, back to the Astra Manual and her thoughts on antidepressants. I was like, okay, I don't want a drug affecting my mind. I don't want yet another drug that I'm going to have to taper. And I think that a lot that she said this in the manual that a lot of people were like so shocked and betrayed by these medications that they just didn't want any other medications. And I kind of I think I would be in that group like no. However, though, I'm going to say however, because I'm not perfect. I'm not great. I'm far from it. Even I have a lot of flaws. And I try to own up to that whenever I can. Um, I was I did get an antidepressant, but as off label use for sleep because I was just so desperate for sleep. And I, I was willing to try everything at least to get me through the withdrawal. I mean, theoretically, theoretically, because I was done with drugs. <laughs> and especially when I found out I got so sick from benzos. I was like, you know, whatever happens in the future, even if I'm struggling with insomnia, be it like a short while, then uh, even if I, if I would try something, it would be something natural. Or may, maybe I'll even smoke weed. I don't really smoke weed, but I, I would be more inclined to do natural stuff than medic well, medications or drugs. I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. Um, so I... I mean, I, I think I remember because it's it's been the longest year of my life, people, with this withdrawal. It was, ugh. Anyways, I'm trying to remember, like, yeah, sometimes I was really down. I was, like, maybe thinking, like, maybe. And I was, and then that was, like, a split second. I was, like, no, I'm not going to take anything to get rid of this depression monster. I'm just going to, I'm I'm able to fight him alone. And sometimes I'm worn out with this, you know, theoretical battle that I'm fighting with this entity that is you know, annoying and sucking my soul, but I, I can fight him. I can do this on my own. And I just had my reasons, but I do totally understand if people decide because they're so depressed and have ideation or something, if they're like, well, I just need something to get me through the horrors of benzodiazepine withdrawal. I totally get it. I totally get it. I would want to say this though, if you are listening and if you want my thoughts, which I'm always giving. So again, these are my thoughts and get other opinions too. Um, but I would stick with, um, try to get stable first because maybe, uh, maybe if you have a depression, it will lift or maybe it will be manageable. Um, just, I'm, I'm really like, I, I mean, there, there can be so many individual scenarios at play here. So, um, but maybe sometimes it's a life or death situation where you're like, I'm so depressed. I'm so extremely depressed and I don't have time to wait to get stable or I just don't have that bandwidth. Then do it, you know, under, under supervised care, get informed, talk to a psychiatrist. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, depression. It's hard. It's hard for me to make this episode because I'm talking about psychology, feelings, and difficult, difficult. But 
mind you, even if it's sometimes difficult, or a lot of times it's uh, difficult for me to make podcasts and make no mistake. But I'm like, let me stumble about with my words. Let me mess up. Let me fuck up because this is me doing my best. <laughs> and that's all I can do. And that's good enough. And yeah. Now, as you've listened to my uh, previous episode, you may be thinking like, but didn't you try mirtazapine and trazodone for sleep? Yes, I did. And those are antidepressants. Yes, they are. But the trazodone, one night I was done with trazodone. So hardly even worth mentioning, negligible. Then the mirtazapine, which is Remeron, it just turned me into a zombie. It didn't do a lot for sleep. And I think maybe this is also one of my you know, reasoning is these drugs that are antidepressants, they messed up my mind and they turned me into a zombie. So I'm not even sure if I would react well on an, on an antidepressant. That is also something that I feel that should be mentioned. Like I know that Ashen says it's an option and I think, yeah, it's definitely an option, but we just don't know if it's going to work for us, for you, for me, for me, it doesn't work, or at least a couple of them. I had amitriptyline, but I was like, all these drugs that I, if they are antidepressants, I was trying them to get sleep, which didn't work. So if it doesn't work, then I'm like, okay, bye. Then I don't want it. And then I got prescribed the evil, I'm sorry, in my opinion, another evil drug, maybe some time I'll do a separate podcast or maybe someone else should do that. But Seroquel, ketamine, nope, not a fan. It's an antipsychotic and it also turned all these things are turning me into a zombie, um, except for benzos, though. I, I, I mean, well, aside from not sleeping turns you into a zombie as well. Then, yes, then benzos turn me into a zombie, too, or they've done that in the past, or at least with, with withdrawal. Um, but it's just something that it's just, you know, you should really think hard, in my opinion, about trying them. But if you really feel like, well, I'm just so depressed and it just doesn't seem to lift. Yeah. Talk about it with your psychiatrist or, I mean, I feel and I hope that they may have some sort of specialty or knowledge about that. Unfortunately, in my experience, a lot of psychiatrists and doctors don't know a lot about benzos and specifically how to come off them. But maybe with the antidepressants, it's a different story. I hope so. I hope so. Now, I want to make something very clear. If you have decided or you were told to take an antidepressant because of the benzodiazepine withdrawal, I'm not judging, you know, like I will always say, and I hope you remind this, whatever works for you, do it, <laughs> you know, whatever you, is good for you, do it. If you think it's helping, great, because that's all I want, people not to suffer. I mean, that's what we all want, right? I mean, hopefully, that we're doing well, and we're happy, and we're sleeping, and we're not suffering, I hope so. But I do want to mention this because um, I'm active on the boards and sometimes I'll get a message and I'll see posts and threads. And some people are on antidepressants. They Maybe they were already before they were on benzos or maybe they got on antidepressants because of the benzos, whatever scenario. I feel like I, I, I try to stay away in terms of giving advice because I don't know things about antidepressants. What are their adverse effects? Are there adverse effects? I can, for me, I was only just on Menzo. So that's why I'm like, okay, this I know sort of like I can share the knowledge that I know in terms of Benzos, but not in terms of antidepressants. The only thing that I will agree on, but only because other people said so, and I don't have any experience. So I'm like, okay, these, this is what, you know, experienced people are saying is that they, in terms of 
the if there's a question about should I taper my antidepressants first or the benzos, they will all say the benzo. So I just believe those people. But again, as with everything, try to get information where you can. And yeah, I, I hope you guys are well. I hope with this episode, I mean, I guess I'm lucky because I'm happy now and I've had good times in June and I, I I'm, ever since I updosed, I just felt emotionally um, better. Of course, I still have like rough patches, um, which is okay. Um, but like in terms of updates and how I'm doing, how I'm sleeping, I will get back to that. Um, it's still, it's a work in process. <laughs> it's a work in process. Um, but hopefully I can give some news later. Um depression, I was able to fend it off. And in my personal experience, my depression definitely lifts when I get to some sort of stable equilibrium, as you will. Um, for me, that helps. And I just hope that you guys get there as well. That's all I want for you guys, just not be depressed and just be happy. Thank you for listening to the episode. Be well, be safe. Remember, it's not a race. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to support the show, go to paypal.me slash neftalbenesty. Welcome to the podcast Benzo Tired. I'm your host, Neftal Benesty, and I'm Dutch. Join me on my journey into the world of benzodiazepines, withdrawal, bind, and more. Disclaimer, always consult your physician for medical advice. This is episode 16, Long Holding, and today it's November 25th, 2022. The concept of long holding. The concept of long holding is within your taper at any given point, you hold your dose for a long time. Now I'm hearing all of you asking me throughout the podcast all at once, like, but why and how long? And doesn't guarantee that I'll feel better, but I want to come off. And I get it. I get it. I do. I'm going to try to answer those questions, my own questions and theories on the whys or why not, all of that. Now I'm going to start with the Ashton manual. It describes example schedules where you hold <laughs> at least for two weeks. So long would be subjective. I suppose what is long for one person, a week may feel long for another person, a month may feel long and so on. So someone can be like three months is long, six months is long. Uh, a year is long. So I think in terms of consensus, which I don't think there really is in terms of what is long holding, because it's kind of new ish. I think it's not um, being done a lot in terms of what I'm seeing in my experiences on the boards. But I would say long holding, perhaps maybe longer than two months would be long holding. I want to share something that Dr. Heather Ashton said. I got this from YouTube from one of her lectures, I think it was, or at least it was a presentation. Most patients are quite capable of controlling their own withdrawal, given suitable advice and encouragement. 
the doctor and patient together can initially devise a mutually agreed withdrawal schedule, but this may require readjustments from time to time depending on progress. And if problems arise, um, the dosage can be stabilized for a few weeks or the rate of withdrawal decreased. Now, I want to discuss a few things that she said. So first of all, she's saying when problems arise, now what would be the problems? Um, suffering, <laughs> symptoms, extreme symptoms, no sleep. I don't know, it could be anything, but I am presuming she means that you're struggling with your cut or tape or whatnot. So she is saying a, a couple of weeks. Now, long holding could exceed weeks. It could exceed months. But at least Heather Ashton is saying, well, if you struggle, you can hold for a couple of weeks. Now, one of the million dollar questions is, why should you want to hold? Well, with everything, it's up to you. Something that can be positive from holding is that you actually get better or feel better, maybe even become symptom free. So that would be the ideal scenario. However, there's a lot of unknowns because how long will that take? We just don't know. Then we have another situation as for example, Christy Huff, who was never one day well on benzos. So I can Totally understand if your benzo experience was kind of shitty from day one or after a month or two or three that you're like, I don't know, I just want to come off and I would just I want to keep some sort of pace. Now, I think I would get consensus. So it's very hard to talk about consensus and what I think. So consensus would mean where I think that most people emphasis on think would agree with this and my opinion is obviously my opinion and only that and i think the consensus would be in the fact that you shouldn't go too fast so for example if you're doing a two-week reduction and you're becoming very ill then people will probably say do three weeks if three weeks is kind of rough or gives you a lot of symptoms then four so i think Perhaps there would be consensus to not go faster than two to four weeks. However, that being said, I think I would get even more consensus about a symptom-based taper, which is kind of also leaning towards the weeks that I mentioned because your symptoms could be telling you like, hey, two weeks is too fast or it's just right or three weeks or four. So... I think I would definitely stick to a symptom-based taper if you feel like, okay, I need about a month to recover from a previous cut. Then I'll take a, I'll do another cut. That's totally fine. But if you're someone who is really eager to, you know, go forward with the taper and is like, well, I need six weeks, it's fine. But if you want to keep the pace and you can tolerate two weeks, go for it. Like, again, with everything that I, I want to say, like, whatever works for you, works for you. Now, I would say that there are two reasons why you wouldn't want to hold for a longer time. So the first reason would be if you, maybe you've already tried a hold for a longer period of time, and you just don't get better. And maybe you've held for longer, for like, two months or three months and you just don't seem to get any better or the symptoms are still super rough 
that would be a good reason just to keep a pace. Another reason would be maybe you would stabilize or feel good after six months, but do you want to risk six months of perhaps a very large amount of discomfort to get some sort of even or stable or happy or symptom-free? So those things I can totally relate if you're like, well, no, I'm not going to wait for six months to maybe get a lot of relief or whatever. I can totally understand. And another thing that Ashton mentioned is that the patient should be, could be quite capable of making their taper with their doctor. Although I know from experience in a lot of cases, it's the patient that makes a schedule if there even, even is a schedule. Um, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of doctors thinking with us. But um, before I go on about my long hold, um, because I'm seeing this a lot, and I, I really have to mention this. So again, the Ashton uh, protocol manual is very much about that a taper is devised before tapering, before coming off of benzodiazepines. But what I'm seeing happen a lot, it happened to me, I'm reading it a lot on the boards, is that people really struggle at the beginning of a taper or the taper. So they get very sick and a thousand things can happen. So maybe they were on uh, their original benzo. For example, it was Xanax. They got crossed over to clonopin, so alprazolam to clonazepam. Um, and they're still, the, these events were maybe recent. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in terms of benzos in the body and beginnings, beginnings, and they're, they're probably or maybe not even stable on the benzo that they're currently on and still trying to figure out how to dose, what dosage. A lot of times, and this happened with me, I'm just going to, I'm going to go to my story. I tapered myself from 90 milligrams of fluorazepam to 30. And long story, cold turkey started on seven milligrams of diazepam, which is Valium. So that was exactly a year ago, almost exactly a year, and I almost died. Um, so my beginnings were far from perfect. So who knows how long that I need or needed to recover from all that? Because if I would have done a slow taper, maybe I'd be at 20 milligrams of Valium diazepam right now. You know, I'm just, you know, guessing here. It could be 10, could be 25, depending on how slow I wanted to go. But I am on four milligrams of diazepam slash Valium right now. So what I'm trying to say here is like, are we even sort of stable in the beginning or are we still suffering from too rapid withdrawal from before? I mean, maybe your situation is different if you're listening. Maybe you did start with the Astra Manual and maybe you did take your time. But I'm trying to say here is my beginnings were so traumatic and were so rapid that possibly, maybe I needed months and maybe I'm still somewhere recovering, recalibrating from everything that happened last year. Um, but I'm trying to say here is when Ashton is saying about, you know, um, during a, a taper, if you're struggling, but what if your taper started super shitty um, and you're on a way too low dose of benzos? On one hand, I'm of course, I'm happy that I'm on a 
somewhat low dose. I mean, I'd rather be free of benzos, obviously. But on the other hand, I went through months of hell and agony and suffering. So if I would have to do it all again, which I really didn't want to, don't want to do, um, but I would have taken such a different approach. I would have gone so much slower, especially if I could have prevented the anguish, the agony that I went through. Um, so I think that's important to mention. So when Ashton says a patient is very capable of making a taper or making a schedule, that was not the case for me for, I would say, the longest time, I think. I started to grasp the idea of possibly moving ahead with my taper in June, and I wanted to do a microdose, which I couldn't do. Well, a lot happened, um, <laughs> bad shit happened, and uh, a lot of suffering st still after that. But now I would say like, okay, I think I know what to do. And one of the mistakes that I made next to the, you know, making the reductions too large for me, at that time in June and after was I didn't take the time to wait. That's my, with the gift of hindsight, um, I held for a total of 38 days. That was my longest hold. And I just, <laughs> I should have hold longer. I should have held longer. Didn't do that. Um, so now I know better. Um, so yeah, so I, in terms of the patient, knows or should know is quite capable. Yeah, I think we are at some at a point. But some of us are struggling. I can see that. Like, um, I know this case where I think that someone because of the half life of a certain benzo that this person is tapering, they should dose twice a day, at least they're not doing that. So I can talk all about long holding, but what is the situ personal situation of someone? Because maybe I'm just going to give an example, right? So hypothetically, someone is on Xanax, <laughs> very short acting, extremely short acting. Um, and they want to long hold and they're suffering, but they're dosaging themselves once a day. You're going to have interdose withdrawal, most likely. So if you're like, okay, I'm going to hold my dose, maybe my suffering will be less. But if you're not taking the exact same amount in, in different times of the day, you may possibly keep holding, but you won't stabilize, maybe, or not feel better. But so these are all theories. So the theory of long holding, let me tell you this. So this would be either scenario A, where you're on Valium, diazepam, which has a very long half-life and you can just dose it once a day. But even if you do it 10 times a day, it doesn't matter um, as long as they're all even, in my opinion. Um, and scenario B would be another benzo with a shorter half-life, but you're dosaging a few times a day to prevent interdose withdrawal. And again, in my opinion, these different dosages need to be the exact amount, which I know Maybe impossible, maybe it is impossible, but I am a firm believer of at least having equal blood serum levels of benzodiazepines if you want to soothe the, the body and not, you know, making sure that there's no interdose withdrawal, all of that. So that is very important and pivotal that I say this if you are considering a long hold. And then the last sentence that Ashton mentions in the clip that I um, put in here was the rate of withdrawal can be decreased. 
So in my opinion, how I interpret this is basically a go ahead for a long hold. Rather you decide to do a long hold or not, again, it's totally your personal decision. And I think it should be one of the options available to you. So you might be forced into a quicker taper because of circumstances, because of you're being cut off or your doctor is unfortunately dictating the speed of your taper. So sometimes it's not even an option if you're listening and you're in a situation like this, um, which is terrible, which is awful. But um, I'm, I'm just letting you all know that I am aware that some people do not actually have the option. Now, I'm going to be as candid and honest as I can in terms of my decision of long holding. But what I cannot tell you yet is how that works out for me. Because I want to wait for a longer period of time to say if the long hold is working for me and or if I'm having symptoms, yes or not. Um, because I'm thinking it, it this is a non-linear process to me. That's what I've noticed. There are certain things that I can't predict. Like if I'm going to be too low on my benzos, I'm going to have spasms all the time. I won't be sleeping. I will feel absolutely gutted, miserable not being able to function. So I, you know, there's a lot of things that I know not to do, or if I do them, I know the consequences of those actions. But in terms of very long holding, anything can happen. I'm not sure what's going to happen. It's kind of the unknown to me. So I do want to um, mention to you like, oh, it worked for me, or it didn't work for me, or I noticed I was well for two months, and then the third month I got worse, and then the fourth month, month it got better. I have no freaking clue. I am just a, a living experiment of doing this. And again, I cannot stress this enough. Everyone heals, readjusts differently. So what works for one person does not work for the other person. Now, one of the reasons that I updosed was because of the dosage issue, right? So not being able to get the ex exact same amount of what I was taking at the time. So 3.4 milligrams of Valium slash diazepam. But another reason is, is I was depleted emotionally, uh, physically, my soul, everything was just gone after a year of extreme suffering. Well, to be more specific, it was six months constant suffering, almost constant. Maybe I would have a day that was okay-ish, but by normal situations, that would have been a super shitty day. But my taper went so rapid and there's so many things going on. I want to come off. I want to come off. And I just, I just want to be free of this. Now, one thing that I've learned from myself is that because it's so unnatural to take poison, if you, you want to be rid of the poison, why take the poison? Now, with all the benzo wisdom that I have, I've learned even though it's super fucked up that I have to take medication basically to get better. I have to do this slower or slowly to um, avoid getting protracted or try to avoid protracted withdrawal syndrome. I mean, I kind of knew or got information early on that the recalibrating of the body, the you know, the restoration of GABA receptors or whatever you want to call it, that is a whole process after the zero. We're not done when we when we reach a zero. 
that is super fucked up. It's messed up and it was really frustrating. Um, but I'm guessing one of the processes that go, are going on with me or have happened to me was the acceptance of you kind of have to. I mean, I felt like, okay, I, I hate it. I fucking hate it that I have to take these pills. I really, really cannot stress enough how much I fucking hate this. But I was like, okay, so if this is the science or if, if this is how it works and I have to say like everything that I've read in terms of science, uh, the Ashta manual, everything correlates with my symptoms. Everything correlates with what I'm doing or have been doing. I get so sick when I go too low on the benzos. It's horrible. But um, as I was saying, like, I was just done. I mentioned in one of my earlier episodes, I wanted to give up so many times in my taper because it's just unbearable sometimes, or it was. I mean, I'm okay now. I've been okay for a while. It's not great, but I've been okay. But those first six months and maybe like two to three months after, it was just horrendous. It, I was like, I don't know how people survive this. I don't know how people hold on to this because this is suffering unbearable. This is absolutely horrible. And there's a whole psychological process that comes with this for me. I'm going to stick to me. So bear in mind that I was thinking, I wasn't benzo-wise. I was like, I'm going to taper myself in a month and then I'll be rid of that. And, you know, hopefully I'll be sleeping better. Then the reality of things is kind of like gutting or it was gutting to me like, oh, I'm probably not going to sleep for well for a very long time, maybe years, right? And that was like my, I got it for insomnia on my benzos, just accepting that my sleep was going to be shitty, somewhat shitty, not great for a long time. That was a tough pill to swallow. And just the, the duration of this all. Um... But at least I feel like I have the wisdom now that it doesn't matter when I get to the zero, as long as there's the least amount of suffering. Hopefully, probably, I'm expecting this at some point, this is my hope. And I'm careful with hope because I got disappointed in my taper process so many times. But at least I'm, I will, I'm hoping this. I'm hoping that I will be not only functioning, I will be able to have a very active life or a semi-active life. Like, Anything beats being so sick and miserable and not sleeping and not being able to do anything. I would be happy if I would be 60% kind of something better than I was when I started my taper. Now, if you are considering a long hold, there's a couple of things that I would advise you. So the first thing would be try it for three months at least. Um... Again, if you're like, I cannot bear suffering for four months, so if there's like zero or little improvement, you can say, look, I've tried it for three months. It didn't work out, so I'm just going to keep on reducing my dosage. Perfectly fine. And whatever you do, again, whatever works for you, works for you. If it doesn't work for you, don't do it. But I think in my humble personal opinion, um, you won't know if you can get stable or even feel very good if you've never tried it before. That is my opinion. Another thing is, if you have to bear in mind what where you were once you start doing a long hold. So for example, let's say um, you were on five milligrams of Valium slash diazepam and you were tapering every three weeks with a 5% reduction and you've never felt very well. Um, 
but basically that is your flow and you, you get to the four and you want to try a long hold. That is one situation. But another situation could be that you were switching benzos or you just did a very large reduction. Um, so then possibly in that scenario, if there's been a lot of cuts going on or updosing, just different levels of benzos, maybe even different benzos, then if you do decide to do a long hold, you might need longer. So another example would be, I'm just going to compare it to my personal situation. So I started the Valium, the diazepam, on 7 milligrams where I should have started around between 30 and 45 milligrams, like insane low. Let's say I would have had all this wisdom and I was on the 7 milligrams. That was just way too low of a dose. I think maybe I would have maybe I should have hold for a year because I was just, if I wasn't going to updose, because I, I would have updosed if I had all the knowledge that I have now. But if I was kind of like, I just want to come off and whatever you tell me, I am not updosing and I'm going to weather the storm. Fine. I could have, you know, I, I probably would have said something like that, my old version. Um, and it would be very hard for me to not cut because I just wanted to come off. But if I would be like, okay, well, I, I'm, I'm not going to updose, but okay, I'll wait before I cut. Then I probably needed a lot longer than three months. I'm pretty sure of that. I would have done that. I would have done so many things differently. But that was more my advice in terms of if you plan on long holding your dose. Now, I believe that I have a fair shot, a chance on feeling very well if I hold my dose. And I'm going to tell you why. First of all, I was stable on my original benzo. Now, if you're questioning, but weren't you on two benzos? Yes, I was. Um, the first benzo was a shorter acting one for a couple of months. It was, in hindsight, a disaster. I was happy that I was get getting some sleep, but it was very broken sleep. I was exhausted. I was tired. Story of my life now, being exhausted and tired most of the times, especially in withdrawal. But anyways, um, so after a few months, um, that particular benzo is not available. I get switched to a long acting benzo. Long story, if you've listened to all the episodes, you know the hows and the whys and everything. Um, and I, it feels like magic. <laughs> the first couple of months, it was like magic. I was finally getting proper some proper sleep. At, at least I thought I was getting proper sleep. Now in hindsight, I know it wasn't good sleep or normal sleep. But I felt rejuvenated. I felt like I could do my life again. And I was doing that. I was basically thankful for that benzodiazepine. And again, in hindsight, maybe I would have taken that specific benzo for a couple of days in the beginning and then, you know, not take it anymore. Anyways, I, you know, ended up taking it for many years. And I never have physical symptoms. I did have trouble sleeping over time. So the insomnia kind of crept back in, plus um, over sedation and other adverse effects that I wasn't aware of at the time, but they were definitely there. But I would say that that second benzo, the florazepam, I think brand name is Dalmain, I was okay. I was functioning. I was working. I was doing all sorts of stuff. I was living. I had a life. I had a life on benzos. And I wasn't really questioning the benzos and I never really got sick. I never got interdose withdrawal because fluorazepam is a very long acting benzodiazepine, longer half-life than Valium slash diazepam. So the reason that I'm mentioning this is that I apparently 
I'm not sure if it's going to happen again. So, but again, I never got sick on my, you know, original prescription. I was basically stable in a way, you know, I know it's like a, a maybe weird to say, but I was long holding that I was like a long term user. And especially in the beginning, I think I had some benefits of it from it. Um, so that is one of the reasons that I'm like, okay, so once upon a time in my life, <laughs> for many years, I was on benzos. And for yeah, a good amount of the entire prescription, I was doing well, I wasn't sick, I was I was just functioning. So that is one of the reasons that I'm like, you know, I think I can get a very good stable, not sure, but I'm testing it out right now. And then the second reason would be June 2022 this year when I had a good spell my oasis, I felt really good that week and I slept well, at least my experience of sleeping was good for that week and good sleep just does everything for me. I'm like super sensitive to insomnia. So lucky me or not being sarcastic here with uh, benzodiazepine withdrawal when insomnia can be such a brutal bitch. And so debilitating. Um, so those are the main, those are the main reasons I would say that I'm thinking like, okay, maybe long holding can actually work out for me. And then there's a very important other factor, not the main reason, but a very good reason as far as I'm concerned is I am thinking, and I'm, I'm just not sure, but I'm pretty sure that I am one of those people that needs years in total to taper. If I want it to be uneventful or at least manageable and tolerable. Now, I remember back in February when I found the first Benzo story, as you will, which is the Benzo book by Jack Hobson DuPont. And he, it took him years, uh, three years or so. And I, at that point, was on five milligrams of Valium slash diazepam. And I remember I was in, not in, in acceptance at all with the time. And, and I figured like, but I'm already at five. Yes, I'm a walking corpse and I'm half dead and brain dead and not functioning. But hey, at least I skipped a couple of years probably. So good for me. That wasn't now in hindsight. That was, of course, I wasn't benzo wise. That kind of logic is illogical. <laughs> um, no, I should have taken my time. I didn't skip years. Yeah, I did skip years, but only to maybe make up for that in suffering and maybe the same amount of time if I've done it, if I'd done it slower. So one of my working theories is, and um, perhaps there's consensus about it, but I think I could say this, like that we all know if you're benzo wise, the body and the brain, they need time to readjust and recalibrate. How long they need, we just don't know. There's no test for that. Um, unfortunately, we cannot test these things. Wouldn't it be great if we could, though, like we could do a test and get a checkup every month? Like, yeah, your GABA receptors are ready to do another cut. Oh, no, they're not ready. You, sh you need to hold. Something like that. But there's no test for that. Now, the, the working theory is, for me, that my body just needs an X amount of time. And no matter what I do, I cannot force my body to heal itself or re it calibrate, readjust itself faster. I can't do that. Um, I could do it though. I could like, I could quit cold turkey today or I could taper very rapidly. I know what'll happen though. I'll get extremely ill. Maybe the depression or the insomnia or the physical symptoms or the psychological symptoms become so intense 
that it becomes life-threatening. So either my body could cave and actually die from this. I mean, I've, I've, I've experienced this almost exactly a year, year ago, but you know, I was on high level benzos then. I've come down quite an amount, <laughs> a lot too much. Um, so I'm not sure if I quit cold turkey today, which I would never do, never ever. It's just so not wise, it's dangerous. I'm never ever gonna do that. Um, I could do it and, you know, but then I'll suffer and the chances of protracted withdrawal would be higher. I am just so aware, I guess I'm so aware that if I get to the zero, when I get to the zero, there's still some recalibrating to do for my body afterwards. So I'm like, okay, my, my body needs an X amount of time. I can't hurry that up. Unfortunately, I do not know the when. I can just speculate and feel like, oh, I've been doing well, hypothetically, for three months. So I think I may be ready to do another cut if I do another cut. So the body just needs an X amount of time. So and I cannot rush it. So I've I've been rushing it, but I've been suffering a lot. I mean, I'm I'm doing well now for a while. I've been doing well. Um, but I I was in so much suffering and agony and not sleeping. And I don't think that is good for the recalibrating or healing as you will. Um, I think and again, there's so many things, it's just theories, I cannot prove anything. Um, the consensus would be that we heal while we taper. I agree with that. However, if you're not sleeping, if you're not sleeping, especially the sleeping, um, I, I think it's harder for the body to recalibrate and fix the damage that is fixable by benzos if you're just not sleeping and if you're just super depressed, super stressed, um, not eating, all these things, I think, or I'm convinced that it will slow, actually slower the healing or recalibrating if your body isn't fit or isn't healthy. Now, I like to be very candid and honest about my myself and my situation. Because uh, I just got nothing to hide and I feel like there shouldn't be any taboo taboos or nothing like that. So here's the truth. When I, and if you've lis been listening to my episodes, maybe some of these things you remember. So maybe you remember that I said that it was like January of 2021 and I was convinced that my benzodiazepines were, were not effective and maybe even causing my insomnia. Now, when I, I switched to a Z drug because I still felt felt like I'm not sleeping and I need a, I need drugs to sleep. I cannot sleep without drugs, which basically was true because of benzos. I wouldn't have slept. I have been dealing with a lot of insomnia during my taper, but I wasn't benzo wise. I didn't know anything. Um, I didn't have the cognitive behavioral therapy then, and then I switched to a Z drug because I was convinced I needed pills. So my whole mission, and maybe I've said this a little bit before, was to sleep. And I didn't care at first or for a very long time, at least for those years when I was on benzos, I didn't give a shit. I didn't know how bad they were. <laughs> if I'd known everything, obviously I would have tapered sooner. I would have wanted to come off them. But I was like, I need to fucking sleep. This is my main mission in life. I need to sleep. Um... So I was just substituting one bad drug for the other drug, which didn't work because they kind of worked the same, Z drugs and benzodiazepines. 
Then I get a psychosis, I go back on the benzos, but I'm like, okay, I need help. Um, and I really needed help. And eventually I got it. But honestly, before the taper and before my cognitive behavioral therapy, if they would have, if someone would have said to me, a doctor, a psychiatrist, like, oh, well, you've tried these drugs, but there's other drugs that can help you sleep. I would have gone for that option first because it's the easy way out. It's like, okay, I don't want to deal with insomnia. I don't want to deal with um, all that bullshit and, you know, my tinnitus and the not sleeping. So I'll just take another pill. Uh, and I remember that I even had this messed up logic going to the C drug. I'm like, okay, so probably I'm, you know, I've hit tolerance with benzos, which was true. I can just, and I didn't know that Z drugs kind of work the same way. So I was like, you know, I'll go to the C drug, <laughs> hope it works. And then if that stops working, I can go back to the benzo. So really thinking pills, pills, pills in terms of insomnia. Now the cognitive behavioral therapy did change it. However, so I was like, however, I totally, well, I wouldn't say underestimate because maybe that's not the proper word. Underestimating is something like that. At least you think you know something. I had no clue, you know, about benzos and everything that happened afterwards. And now what's happening, I had no clue. Um, so I was thinking I'll probably sleep bad for about a month and it's been a fucking year. I'm sleeping better. It's not great thing, but you know, so much better than in the beginning of my taper, but at least it, with the cognitive behavioral therapy, I was like, okay, so sadly there's no such thing as sleeping pills. Um, my point to this is that all I wanted was to sleep. That's all I wanted. And I didn't care for a long time if if I was going to take pills for that. So that was basically my kind of mindset for the few years that I was on the benzo for sleep. I was like, well, I need this because, you know, I have trouble sleeping. And that changed for me. Um, ever since I've gotten the cognitive behavioral therapy, I'm like convinced that there's no such thing for pills to sleep. The sour reality of my situation is though, that's because I was on benzos for a very long time. I'm going to have to deal with insomnia, or I, at least I have been dealing with very intense insomnia. It's better now. Hopefully it will get better and better and better. But, um, that was my initial kind of purpose to sleep. And I didn't care how, if I was going to need pills or drugs or whatever, I didn't care. That has changed for me, but I just want to be honest with you that I just wanted to sleep and I didn't care what, what I had to take to sleep. Now, this kind of comes together with the long holding because for the longest time of my taper, I wanted to come off as fast as I could because I was thinking the sooner I come off, the sooner my sleep will improve. That's how focused I was on the sleep. Now, obviously, <laughs> things went so different because it's been a, over a year now that I started my taper and I've dealt with the worst insomnia ever in my entire fucking life. It has been so bad that I got physically ill from it. Um, cognitive decline beyond imagining. It's just, and you know, just bento hell, um, thousand symptoms. And I remember back in May, 2022 or April, I was so exhausted. I was like, I can't, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot not sleep. It was so bad. Um, so 
as you know, um, I went to my psychiatrist. We set up a plan. Um, in June, I have a good spell. I sleep somewhat better. And then it kind of goes sideways again. And now it's kind of, it's too soon to say, but um, sleep is a lot better. But it's not great. Um, I, I, I had like one or two really shitty days in terms of sleep this week. The week before was better. But anyways, my point is, like, I had to change this whole view because I was like, but I need to come off so I can sleep again. That is not necessarily the case anymore because I think that I will be getting, I will be able to get enough sleep if I stabilize. And if that is in the cards for me, which I really hope, and if not, then, you know, shit happens and I'll survive and I'll think of another way. Um, but if I can get some sort of stable and get enough sleep, um, I'm good. Or at least I can kind of like recharge my battery before I go into the next step of my taper. If, you know, if I slept very well for six months, for example, I'm just giving an example here. I don't know if and when I'm going to taper. But let's say I'm sleeping okay or well enough. And I'm still thinking though, so I believe that if I do ever come off completely, I think my sleep will improve even better from what it will be in the future or now. Um, I do think that there's a reward for me waiting if I decide to come off completely. Um, but maybe the sleep during a taper or indefinitely holding or forever holding will be enough for me. Um, but yeah, I do believe that it can, it can get, it can get better, but it needs to be acceptable. I, and I, I think I've come a long way because of my cognitive behavioral therapy and just benzos, everything. My life will never be the same again because of benzos, because of my tinnitus, everything that happened. I am not expecting to, to get eight to nine or 10 hours of sleep as I had before any of this happened, which is okay. Um, I've had this whole therapy and, um, even on my like second benzo, the Farazban that I was on, on for a very long time, I didn't sleep very long on that benzo either. And the quality of that sleep wasn't good. I realized that now, and I was dealing with a lot of fatigue during the benzos. Um, but I think I've learned that six to seven hours, if that's like a constant, right? So I wouldn't want to have too many days when in a week where I have six hours and then like three of five. I'm just giving an example here. Um, but I did learn like, okay, I used to be able to sleep in a lot and it was great. But now, especially also because of this experience of barely sleeping two to three hours a night for months and or no sleep at all. Like, it's just, I'm just thankful for like six or seven hours these days. And if I can function, um, then that's great. Now, I have to say, honestly, I cannot remember having a good night's rest, maybe back in June, um, but just a night where I didn't wake up at all. So just in one piece and then for seven hours and then feel rejuvenated. I'm not even sure if that's ever going to happen. I hope so. I do believe that benzos still affect the sleep negatively. Um but yeah, so my, my long hold um, is foremost based on the sleep depravity, hoping that I will sleep better. And if not, you know, I'll just deal with it. I'm not daunted or scared. The other thing, I mean, it's the main thing for sleep, but of course there's uh, so many other things like the countless symptoms and that my body just needs needs time to heal and that I've gone so fast in my taper. 
all good reasons for me to do a long hold. Like, what do I got to lose? And a great part of being able to motivate myself to do a long taper is, of course, having a, a, a different view on the taper process, accepting that it could take years. Um, that took me a very, very long time. Like I said, when I first read a book and someone said they took three years, I was like, hell no. But my condition was different. I was in ra in acute withdrawal. I tapered way too rapid. And I think June, my oasis, June 2022, that really changed my view. Like, okay, I have been suffering so much before June. And then I felt so good. I was like, yeah, this is what I want during my taper. I want to feel as good as possible and suffer the least amount possible. And because, you know, I think it's also like, I think people are very resilient. And if, if I just, you know, forget about that, that, you know, healing slower is better for the body, in my opinion, there's only so much torture a person can have. I don't even think, I don't even know how I survived those few months with extreme suffering. I did. Um, but I think there would be a limit to that. If I, if I would have known for sure that like, I would be in that state of acute withdrawal for a year. I don't, I don't know if I could have done it. I don't think I could have done it. Um, so that is also something like I, 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 maybe I've mentioned this in one of my earlier episodes. If I haven't yet, then I'll say it now. I think June made me change it like this, the view on the tape process. It's the journey. It's not, it's not the, 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 the destination anymore because the destination is also not very, you know, tangible. There's no date to this. Even if there would be a date when it gets, when I get to zero, the journey isn't complete then. And maybe possibly I will never recover hundred percent. And that's fine. I've come to terms with that. Um, I do believe that I am able to do that. I I'm hoping. Um, but I, in terms of, because I've, I've read a lot of people that say I'm this percent better after so many times or so many years or whatever. Um, I don't really think like that, like in percentages, I just think like I would be very happy if I was able to do certain things. I don't expect to be a hundred percent my old self. I hope so. I think so. But if not, if I'm just able to do day-to-day -day things, things that matter to me, uh, be happy that, I mean, also that is extremely important mentally how I'm doing. And now I would say I'm doing really, really well. So that's also a big part of this whole journey. If we can get through it with, you know, sanity and maybe even happy, yeah, I'm all down for it. If I would rather be taking my 10, 20 years or something, hypothetically being happy and sleeping than doing it within a year and feel miserable. And even after that, feel miserable because I went too fast. So these are my reasons and my kind of philosophy on the long holding. I know it's an, it is an option. There is a chance for me because that's what Melissa Bond proved to me that it is possible. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of hoping for that. And who knows in the future, maybe more people start doing this and maybe more people, you know, feel better this way. Um, and I, I, I hope so though. And I, again, of course, I'm going to update you on the long holding how I'm doing, about symptoms, about sleep. Um, but I'm going to need a lot of time. <laughs> I'm going to need a lot of time. I, th I feel like I could maybe 
hold for six months and then give you a proper report. I'm going to give you a report sooner though, but um, I feel like I need to really test it out and take the time and see what happens. And another thing that I shouldn't forget to mention, like I said, I was really scared for a long time to do anything like that, to hold for too long because I was thinking maybe I'll get symptoms. I don't think that will happen. Worst case scenario, it does happen. I'll just resume a taper. You know, I'm just, I've become fearless. Um, I mean, it's it will be pretty shitty if I don't sleep, but I've survived zero sleep and barely sleeping. So I'll probably survive anything now that will be thrown my way, except for maybe like a cold turkey now or forgetting a dose or not having access. I don't have to worry about any of these things, but that, okay, so that was would be my only fear if I go too fast. That would mean that my suffering is very long, but that's not going to happen because I'm in control of this situation and my, my drugs and everything. So I'm not worried. I'm fearless in that sense. And I, I'm going to be okay. And I have a lot of hope. And I hope you guys get to st- a stable and maybe if it works for you and you can get to happy and sleeping on, on, on holding for a longer period of time, that's, that would be amazing. I would love that. And if you do reach out, cause you know, I would love to share your story if you're being successful with a long hold. Thank you for listening to the episode. Be well, be safe. Remember, it's not a race. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to support the show, go to paypal.me slash